Hi everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Bose. This is episode number 13 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters on your I ain't afraid of no ghosts podcast. Today we're joined by Brandon Size, who has been waiting for this day for weeks. Brandon is about to launch a Friends podcast called Moo Point, which we're all looking forward to hearing. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Matthew. I have been waiting for this for weeks. I've been a fan of the show since the Die Hard episode, and uh, Ghostbusters seemed like the perfect opportunity for me to join you guys. I do have one question for you. Yes. How many times have you actually watched Ghostbusters since we decided to record this episode? Uh, actually, a lot less than I thought I would. I watched it immediately out of the box, and I I made it all the way to, I guess, after fame for Ghostbusters, where they, they meet in in front of the fountains and, and the uh, violinist is there. And for whatever reason, probably like my kids wanting to play Rocket League, I stopped watching. And then I didn't pick it up again until the day before yesterday. Watched it all the way through once and then watched a bit with the commentary turned on uh, last night. Uh, I really, really thought that I was going to watch it more, especially because I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought that I would, being that I've probably seen it a million times. So, Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea you were such a big fan. I mean, it's not like you haven't been talking about Ghostbusters a lot <laughs> for the last couple of weeks. So, I also think about it a lot. I when you when you called your show pop culturally deprived this is this is my culture it's it's been a part of me for what seems like a lifetime so i'm happy yeah. to be here we are so glad to have you now one of the first things we always talk about on this show is why i have not watched the particular movie or tv show that we're we're talking about so i was actually shocked to find out this movie came out before i was even born <laughs> which I don't know if that makes me feel young or old. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I do actually remember watching the cartoon of Ghostbusters, which is why I expected Slimer to be such a major character in the movie, and I was really disappointed when he wasn't. But I really thought I had seen this movie when I was a kid. We talked about this, Matthew and I did, um, way back in episode number five when we talked about Ferris Bueller. I really thought I had seen Ghostbusters but when I sat down to watch it for this, nothing was familiar. And everything I thought I knew, I think, really came from the cartoon. Yeah, it's inconceivable to me that someone hasn't seen Ghostbusters. This is just such a, like you say, Brandon, it's a major part of pop culture, uh, particularly for our generation. And then for the, the franchise that it became with the sequel, with the cartoons and toys and things, uh, from about age seven, it was my jam. I was ghostbusters all the way gave up he-man gave up thundercats ghostbusters was the thing i forgot about thundercats <laughs> in in prepping for the show i kept thinking like oh yeah there's this story i could tell this thing you know the the selfie i've got with a life-size marshmallow man or <laughs> going to the troxy uh to, for a secret cinema event where they turned the um the gig venue into the sedgwick hotel and they had actors playing out the parts and all this a great story, which I probably shouldn't tell, but at a school disco, getting to dance with Joe Salisbury to the Ghostbusters theme, and I was so overwhelmed I forgot to dance, because <laughs> I'm socially adept. That's amazing. I, I mentioned to my mum that I was doing this um, episode on Ghostbusters, and she sent me a care package, 
I'm just sending over a picture, which I will absolutely tweet out and share this, or it'll be on the show notes. Uh, Brandon and Mandy, you should be getting a picture or two. Nice. Oh, it's baby Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy, so, so we don't just leave dead air. Do you want to describe what you're seeing? <laughs> Matthew has sent several pictures over of him very young. Well, one's a birthday cake from when you were nine, which is a Ghostbusters birthday cake, which is amazing. And then, hang on, I'm trying to click on this. Oh, are those pajamas? They are pajamas. <laughs> oh, I see pajamas that say they're real Ghostbusters and uh, a book of some sort. And Matthew is very excited in this photograph. I, I think I'm being a ghost or a monster is what I'm being. That's the 1989 Real Ghostbusters annual. Nice. <laughs> And apparently, there's also a replica of the firehouse with the the pole and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the firehouse is pretty great. So yeah, I, I was quite into this. This was absolutely my thing. And that, there are more pictures I'm not going to share anymore. But mostly it's birthday cakes throughout the years that have the Ghostbusters logo on or toys that I got and things. Very nice. My my older brother, uh, he's two years older than me, and when we were kids, we would run around. We had these toys called Constructs, I believe, and they were, it was just basically for building things, kind of like Legos, except they were hollow inside, so they were really lightweight. We used to build, of course, guns out of them, and at some point, like, we started off running around like we were John McClane from Die Hard. And at some point we transitioned <laughs> to being Ghostbusters, probably because we picked up some more friends from the neighborhood and we needed, a, you know, a role that had more people in it. Mm. But we also had a record player. It was like a Fisher Price made record player, all made out of plastic and everything. It wasn't very good quality, but we had all these records like uh, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, like the story records. And we had Star Wars Extended Unif Universe stuff, and, and we had the Ghostbusters soundtrack, and it was my favorite record, and I would play it nonstop all the time, and my brother would always get mad because he'd want to listen to Star Wars or Indiana Jones <laughs> or whatever. And at, at one point, my parents were both working at the time, and we had, we had uh, like a high schooler over that was paid to clean the house while my mom was at work and and just kind of keep an eye on us and we were in our rooms and got in a fight about the record and he picked it up off the player and flung it across the room like frisbee oh, no. style and it shattered <laughs> into a million pieces and like the only thing that was missing was like the ectoplasma coming off the wall <laughs> and like i screamed and attacked him which i was the gentlest kid i knew and i like Tackled him, which didn't last very long. He flipped me over and pinned me down. And this poor little, like, 18-year-old had to come in and, and be like, oh, please stop fighting. I'm not really watching you guys. I'm just cleaning your house. You're old enough not to kill each other. <laughs> but I I remember that like it was yesterday. And, and this, I mean, it was 25, 30 years ago. I don't know. It was a long time ago. And we moved up here to Alaska. And my wife found the Ghostbusters soundtrack in a secondhand store in a town of 8,500 people, bought it for me, brought it home, and now my youngest daughter listens to it all the time. It's the only record she listens to. It's pretty oh, cool. brilliant. <laughs> you must be so proud. I, I am. She also likes hockey, so we're winning. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. So yeah, so this is a seminal work, uh, certainly for you and me. How someone's not seen it. Who can? Oh, terrible. 
<laughs> well, if I had seen it, you guys would not be on a podcast right now, so suck it. <laughs> Bit of history on the film. Ghostbusters was released in G- June of 1982. It was directed by Ivan Reitman, written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, who also starred in it alongside Bill Murray, Sigourney Weaver, Ernie Hudson, and Rick Moranis. The film had a budget of $30 million and made just under $300 million at the box office. It was the second highest performing film of the year, uh, just $5 million behind Beverly Hills Cop. Now, 1982, when you look at the films that were released, this is a quality year for, for, again, seminal 80s works. Gremlins, Karate Kid, Star Trek 3, Indiana Jones 2, Police Academy. These are some staple movies of the period, and, and this is the one year they all came out. Do we want to, you know, take a poll on which one of those I've seen or not seen? Well, uh, first of all, uh, some qualifiers. Does anyone in the universe call it Indiana Jones 2? I couldn't is remember. That is, a... that's, that's Temple of Doom, isn't it? It is Temple of Doom. Yeah, okay. Well, I know you've seen bits of that. I have seen bits of it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the one we had on record. <laughs> I think it was Temple of Doom. I think you've seen Police Academy, because that's the worst in in there. <laughs> I have not seen Police Academy. We're not putting it on the list. <laughs> I have seen The Karate Kid. Um, I've not seen Star Trek 3. I am familiar with Gremlins, but I feel like it's a passing familiarity like I had with Ghostbusters. Like I feel like I probably saw it and just don't remember it, which means I probably never saw it. Also had that record. Yeah, see, I haven't seen anything, you guys, so... Which probably means you've not seen Gremlins 2. No, definitely not. Ah, now that's worth putting on the list. That's a good but film. But I can't watch Gremlins 2 if I don't watch Gremlins. E- exactly. We can do one marathon watch and, and podcast about them. Excellent. All right. <laughs> um, Ghostbusters spawned a sequel in 1989 and a reboot in 2016. There was also, as mentioned, a comic, a cartoon, a book series, or all of the real Ghostbusters, and an expansive toy line. I, I just remembered I was also very pleased because when I was in the States once at that age, I, I got a Lewis Tully figure, and they did not sell them over here. I'm the only one of my friends who had it. I was very pleased with myself. Um, Ghostbusters was originally developed by Dan Aykroyd as a vehicle for himself and his uh, Saturday Night Live Blues Brothers co-star John Belushi. The original time and space traveling ideas were dramatically reduced, and the magic that they used to combat ghosts was then changed to technology. After Belushi passed away, more elements were rewritten as the cast was changed. There were a lot of people considered, auditioned, or even cast in some of the other roles. Um, Eddie Murphy was originally going to be Winston, but he went on and did Beverly Hills Cop, which was clearly quite successful that year. John Candy was cast as Lewis Tully, uh, but he quit. Uh, apparently he had lots of ideas, but they kept being rejected, such as him being German and having dogs and all of yeah, this. Too many dogs is what they said in the commentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you um, already have enough. <laughs> uh, Chevy Chase and Michael Keaton were considered for Venkman. Uh, Christopher Walken, John Lithgow and Christopher Lloyd and Jeff Goldblum were all considered for Egon, and I can see all of them doing that role. Absolutely. But Harold Ramos knocks it out of the park, so I'm very pleased he did that. Um, and apparently Paul Rubens and Grace Jones were both considered for Gozo at the end. I can see Paul Rubens doing that, but I don't think I actually know who Grace Jones is. I want to say model and actress. Yes, tall model actress. She's in, I think, a James Bond film. So, yeah, so I, I would have yeah, no, no frame of reference there. So but Yeah, great Grace Jones, Paul Rubens, quite a difference between the two for that part. <laughs> we also, in this film, have the return of two of our friends from Die Hard, Reginald Vell Johnson as a cop, and William Atherton uh, as the arrogant, what's it, uh, antagonist schmuck. 
So they're basically playing the same roles. Right. I read this in the notes before we started this today, and I had no idea that was the same guy until I read that. And I, I did an IMDb search real quick, and I was blown away because equal amounts of hates in each movie. I can't stand that guy. And in the commentary, <laughs> they talk about him coming up to both the director and the writer and just pretty much hating them for, for ruining his life for part of part of the time there because little kids would come up and and hate on him and then of course like school buses full of teenagers would drive by and shout out the window dickless (laughs) (laughs) so does does reginald fell johnson ever play a character who's not a cop no okay i just wanted to be clear on that basically he does. I mean, but he's a cop in that TV show, Family Matters. Family Matters, yeah. yeah. He's a cop in that, and that is, that is his big role. So, a <laughs> couple of interesting facts that we found out: uh, the party scene with Moranis and his guest is almost entirely improvised by Moranis, and and he absolutely sells it. You can see that that's his background. Mm-hmm. The demonic voice of Gozer and Zool is actually the director's voice, and the crowd scene at the end has adult film actor Ron Jeremy included in it. I did not pick up on that, and after I read this, I went and looked for it and saw a screenshot, and I don't think I would have recognized him if somebody hadn't pointed it out. <laughs> he's he's probably in a lot of films. I'm not going to look him up on IMDb, um, but I do know he's in one with, I think, Amber Benson. Really? If we want to throw out our Buffy reference. <laughs> well, you're not allowed to throw out the Buffy reference. That's me. <laughs> Ghostbusters was nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Original Song and Best Visual Effects. The film's theme song was written and performed by Ray Parker Jr. This completely blows my mind. I'm sorry. It just does. The Academy Awards. Academy Awards. Yes! Ghostbusters was nominated for two Academy Awards. Like, I I don't. I just, I I don't get it. But okay. Well, the the ones that they were nominated for are pretty fitting, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, given the age of the movie, anyway. Yeah, I can't see this getting best writing or, or, or even any of the best uh, performances. Oh. Again, not in a year that had the Karate Kid and Police Academy in it. Let's, let's be clear on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there was a, a story that uh, Ray Parker Jr. came up with the style and hook, the, the catchphrase, uh, you, who you're going to call and I ain't afraid of no ghost, after struggling for two days and he finally saw a drain cleaning company advert at 4.30 in the morning. The song was, of course, a huge hit. Um, it stayed at number one for three weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Huey Lewis was offered the chance to make the theme tune, but turned it down due to the work for uh, Back to the Future. However, he subsequently sued Ray Parker Jr. for plagiarizing another of his songs, I Want a New Drug. They settled out of court with a non-disclosure agreement. But in 2001, Huey Lewis talked about the non-disclosure agreement and what happened on an episode of Behind the Music. So Ray Parker Jr. then sued him back... <laughs> And demanded all his attorney fees. It sounds fair to me. Yeah. So, Ghostbusters. It's a movie. And before I tell you the brief synopsis that I wrote, I'd like to tell you what I wrote on Facebook about this movie right after I finished watching okay. it. My my only reaction, three words long, that was special. <laughs> Hang so, on. There's a number of different ways you can say the word special. How do you mean that? <laughs> it was special. <laughs> That's all I can say. It was very special. 
So Ghostbusters is a movie about a group of washed-up academics who commercialize their skills in banishing the paranormal after getting fired from the university. Fair synopsis there? Uh, it, it feels like the first half hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was going to add, add some lines there about how they saved the city, but I was having trouble with that because they wouldn't have had to save the city if Ray hadn't been so stupid. And then my synopsis was just getting too long. So, yeah, they're Ghostbusters. That's what they do. I mean, it's a comedy, so I don't really necessarily want to get into semantics. But I think that no matter what, they saved the city. Like, Ray brought the most gentle monster at the end. But they're <laughs> they're going to have to save the city from something because those dogs were definitely coming alive. Fair point. Okay. I mean, that building, that building is... Uh, you know, it's like this centerpiece for Supernatural. Spook Central. Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it, it, bad things were happening, no matter what. So I think they did a pretty good job. Okay. Well, before we get into more discussion of the movie, let's tell everybody how we all watched the film so folks know where they can find it. Um, unfortunately, as of today which is, of course, March 2017, it's not actually available on any of the uh, subscription streaming services, so I actually rented it from Amazon. Um, it is available in the UK on Sky Cinema, so I downloaded it and watched it at my leisure. You're right. I, f I forget to clarify that when I say things, I'm talking about the United States. We are an international podcast. <laughs> We've had double-digit downloads in China, so... <laughs> <laughs> So I didn't I didn't have the original VHS that my parents had, which was probably ripped off a HBO free preview, if I know my parents. Uh, so I I actually purchased it double feature with Ghostbusters two, which I haven't gotten around to watching, but I'm excited about showing the kids. That one's special, <laughs> more child friendly at least. <laughs> but I was pretty happy because it came with like a little storybook in it with some of the history that that Matthew covered, and then uh, oh nice, and then of course the the commentaries on there, which I I'm a big fan of commentary. I always want to be a fan of commentary, but I I rarely watch it because it just distracts me. Like I would rather have a book that has the commentary rather than having the commentary being played over top of what you're watching because then it just gets distracting for me. Right. I think it's definitely only for a movie that I adore and have seen probably 30 times. And it, this, like this particular commentary, I started my PlayStation, put my headphones on. My wife was watching Game of Thrones on, on one of her other devices in the room with volume. And I was in the kitchen listening to the commentary, not watching the movie uh, while I was doing dishes and cooking and stuff. And it, it, that's, it's not, it's definitely not something you want to watch if you want to pay attention to the movie. It's just for giggles, I think. It's pretty cool. Like uh, the the firehouse that they're in, I, I, I didn't realize this from, from browsing the internet ever, but the inside of that is in Los Angeles. It's an actual old firehouse that they used to use and they film all of the inside scenes of the firehouse in there. And then the outside of it is in New York city and it's an operating mm. firehouse. And both of them were built in the same year, which was like 1912 or something like that. It's pretty great. Yeah. I, I can remember my uncle visiting New York um, again when I was a boy and telling me on the phone, Oh, I saw the ghostbusters firehouse today. Yes. I had no response to that. Just wait, how does this work? Why are we not that? Why? When can I, how do I, who, when, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, blew my tiny child mind. So, uh, Mandy got the pleasure of watching this special film for the first time. Um, but going into the ex- into the uh, watch, what were your expectations for Ghostbusters? I'm trying to temper my expectations when I go into these movies because I feel like if I have great expectations, then it's going to fall flat, and I'm trying to avoid that. So, when I went into this one, I thought I would enjoy it. I didn't really think about it in terms of loving it or hating it. I just thought, you know, it's it's probably going to be good for some laughs. Though I do admit I was really worried about it being really campy. That's probably fair. It is called Ghostbusters. <laughs> and it's from the 80s, so... Mm-hmm. What's your experience of movies directed by Ivan Reitman? Things like Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Dave Jr., Evolution? It's not a tumor. <laughs> That's all I got. Sorry. It's not a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> How has that become the quote from that film? It's so funny. <laughs> but it is. That is totally the quote from that film. And for anybody who hasn't seen it, we're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop. And that throwaway, throwaway line is totally the catchphrase of that movie. It really is. <laughs> it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. Yeah. I, I haven't seen any of, of those other movies you listed okay. there. Okay. Uh, maybe a couple for the list. And what's your experience of Bill Murray movies? I was so surprised when I looked up his filmography and realized I've really not seen hardly anything that he's ever done. I've seen Zombieland, Charlie's Angels, and Kingpin. I have seen Wild Things in Space Jam, which IMDb says he was in, but I have no memory of him in either of those. And so I think mostly this is just one of those things where I know who he is just because he's so freaking famous. I didn't realize I haven't seen anything that he's been in. What about Bob? Nope. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's such a strange list because you've named things where he's not the main star, main person. You're, right, you're in not, Zombieland, he plays himself, you know? Yeah. And and so I think I just know him because he's famous. Like, everybody else knows who he is, and I've just <laughs> absorbed that. So we've got you know, classics, Caddyshack, uh, What About Bob, Groundhog Day, Scrooged. These, these nope. are films he led, but you've never seen them. Not a one. You haven't even seen Garfield. <laughs> no. <laughs> And that intake of breath from from Brandon was, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, a couple more we might be adding to the list. Ghostbusters, did you enjoy it? Okay, this is going to surprise everybody, considering I called it special, but I actually did enjoy it. And I would watch it again. Mm. So, So what do you mean when you say special? I mean exactly what you think I mean. I mean, it's it's... It's special. It's not really a good movie. It's campy and stupid, even though it's not intended to be, I don't think. I think it's intended to be just straight comedy. But it was enjoyable. It was it was funny and it was interesting. And I love Peter Vinkman, which is really gonna surprise some people because I hate really terrible human beings and by all accounts he's a really terrible human being, but I yeah. like him, so Yeah, I just yeah, I, I, I can't really explain it. I just did. <laughs> it, it's a great film to have seen as a child, I think, uh, because it is not a good film. When you really start thinking about it, the, the pacing's all off, the writing's a bit hit and miss at times. Um, no one does anything except for Bill Murray. Everyone sort of hands the film over to him, and, and they just expose it for the rest of it. But it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it is. And it's really hard to explain. <laughs> 
it's very much regarded as a classic, even outside of you know really really diehard fans like Brandon and I. This is a film that people talk about, reference, and enjoy from the eighties. So, can you see why it's become a classic? Not really. I mean, it is good. I enjoyed it. It was funny. But I was trying to think of a comparable movie from today that I thought would still hold up in like thirty years, and I I really couldn't think of one. I mean. The comedies of today are are movies like Grown Ups, which is a male-led comedy movie. It's got four leads. And I just can't imagine that movie still being talked about in 30 years. And so I, I don't know what it was about this movie that just made it so sustainable. Yeah, I think uh, this this was maybe the first perfectly delivered movie I, I've ever seen. It, it was... It was set out to do a certain thing and i think that they accomplished that the the jokes they're really well written uh or or not written at times they they the characters play off each other really well they work together well and um i think the the moment that captures that for me is when when vankman is talking to dana about you know how they're gonna attack this problem that she has and how he's gonna go check her out oh i mean check her apartment out and uh and and Ray and Egon are sitting on the couch eating Cheez-Its, and as soon as he like moves in on her, they kind of look at each other and give this eye roll, like, here he goes again. This guy can't get enough of this. And and I think that like that they just fit their characters so well and they stick with it the entire movie and and you know, plot falling apart around them, the the fact that there isn't really uh, a lot of movement except for Vankman. Uh, I think that the the characters really carry this. And then the setting being in New York city and uh, hearing the the commentary talk about how they built up the movie before it started. Like the first scene they ever shot was during that eighties montage where the, the three of them are running through downtown and in their, in their full gear. And Bill Murray had just arrived from another shooting over in Paris or something. And, and they, they go right into the film shooting that. And so like they, they stuck stickers everywhere of just the date and the ghostbuster sign and uh, and really built up the movie, and I think that that it was just embraced. Uh, the marketing afterwards was incredible, of course. So I think it's just ingrained in us, and that's why it's a classic. It's not necessarily just a standalone classic from how it was made, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think you're referencing the the interplay between the characters and the actors. There's obviously a, a lot of affection there, but they know how to play off each other. A lot of them have known each other for a while in the past, of course. So they really, you, you get this very real feeling that they know each other. The, the bit where Venkman, oh, what is it? He, he turns to Egon and he says, all right, you've done really well. Have a chocolate bar and hands up a crunch bar. Egon, I'm going to take back some of the things I said about you. you you've earned it. And it's just, if anyone did that to me, I would lamp them. <laughs> yeah, it's clear that you, like, Egon is snacking the entire movie, too. It's, yeah. it's very subtle, but he... He eats all the time. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's that real affection between them and, and real nice interplay where they, they know what each other are about and what's going on. So it's it's 100% the characters for me. We've mentioned Peter Venkman a couple of times, Bill Murray's char- character. He has this sort of hero worship thing going on. But when I really watch it back, he is something of a jerk and possible terrible human being. So why do people like him so much? Yeah, I I think that... They they did a good job of establishing kind of him at his lowest point even before the movie started. It seemed like he was in a job that he hated or maybe somewhat enjoyed, but it was just a, a crummy job of 
torturing students for money. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he, Hey, that's a valid I, lifestyle choice oh, for some. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> knocking it. I mean, it sounds glorious, but, uh, but yeah, like the, the fact that he had a hate message on his door before we were even introduced <laughs> to him, it gave him a lot of room to improve. And I think towards, towards the end of the movie, maybe we've seen that he's, he's developed a bit. He's come a ways maybe. Oh, and that, the fact that he comes up with his business plan over a bottle of liquor <laughs> is pretty great too. <laughs> I think that's how every business plan starts. <laughs> well, I have a very simple answer for this question. Because cool. he's awesome. That is all. <laughs> how, but I feel like I can't awesome. leave it at that. <laughs> well, I you know, I was going back through my notes because I came out of this movie with an intense affection for Peter Vinkman. But the very first thing that I wrote very early in the movie about him is, I need to know these character names so I don't say things like, Bill Murray is a dick. Because <laughs> it was early enough, I didn't know who anybody's name was. And he's just being a jerk. And then, you know, as, as, as I just kept going through the movie, and then, you know, Sigourney Weaver's character shows up, and he just got so over the top. And it was just amazing. He, he's so confident and so full of himself, but also so very self-aware. That I just couldn't help but like him. He was he was charming and tenacious and encourageable and I just I like him and I hate him all at the same time. That makes sense. I get it. Yeah, he's just a jerk to everyone. <laughs> he's awful. He is, but he knows I mean, it. He does it with confidence. But seriously. He did apologize for the bug eye comment. I <laughs> yeah. forget that. Don't stare at me. You got the bug eyes. Jenny? Sorry about the bug eyes thing. I'll be in my office. Yeah, because Annie Potts is probably scary. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. But when, when Dana said, said to him... And I say, my God, there's someone with the same problem I have. Yes, we both had the same problem. You. <laughs> yes. He didn't get mad. He totally... He got it. He understood where she was coming from, and he did not give up. He's you also... So, like, he... He's hilarious in this movie in every action he takes. Like the 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 part where he's grabbing the ectoplasma off the the uh, the and like he gets some on his face and he's just like all of his reactions are re well. I mean, like he clearly did that on accident. He got it on his face on accident, so the reaction was actually real. But but like when Dana first walks in the office and he hears her talking and he like prairie dogs up to see who's talking and then comes <laughs> flying over the the rail to come talk to her like everything he does is, is pretty glorious so another big part of this film is obviously we we've talked a bit about the music but it got nominated for visual effects and there are a lot of effects in this film um how do we think they hold up watching it now maybe brandon should go first on this one <laughs> <laughs> so uh I, I really love the, the sound effects, specifically the the charging up of their their packs. Their uh it I think they sound great. I I love the uh I don't know, the the interaction of their really crappy visual effects with the physical effects that they did behind the scenes. So like there's this scene where mm -hmm. Slimer disappears into the wall and the cart goes crashing into it. Uh and there's great camera work on that and then immediately ectoplasma starts seeping from the walls. Uh, I think stuff like that is great. It's old, though. <laughs> it's really old. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't hold up for me at all. <sighs> Gargoyles were awful. Slimer was pretty awful. 
the the Stay Puffed Man when he exploded was very clearly not marshmallow fluff. I mean, they used like something like fifty thousand gallons of shaving cream, and it was very clearly yeah. shaving cream. And I, the the special effects in Dana's refrigerator were awful. I mean, it was just. It was very 80s, and it was very bad, and it just doesn't hold up. And part of me gets that that's because it's so sci-fi-ish. But when you compare it to a movie like Die Hard, even though, I, I mean, Die Hard came later, I get that, and a couple years of technology is, is a big deal. But Die Hard's visual effects hold up to today, and Ghostbusters absolutely does not. Yeah, they they talk on the commentary a lot about the difference between the the first ghostbusters and the second there's seven years i believe you said matthew mm. between the two and um they said that the the visual effects revolution happened within those seven years so and and it was supposed to be this subtle you know slowly they start doing things better and better but they it just happened all of a sudden that everything looked better sometime in that seven years and and then also the, I guess, like you can tell when they when they do the puppet work with the gargoyles, you can you can see that it kind of looks sort of like a gargoyle come to life. And then as soon as they need to move it, it's just it's horrendous. It's pretty bad, and it it definitely shouldn't hold up. Yeah, I I love the effects because I, I love a good practical effect. Uh, I'm a bit over CG these days, but yeah, you can see a lot of the the strings and the the, the folds on things when you look at it now. Yeah, one of the things that I found completely interesting, um, I always Google fun facts about whatever movie it is after we've watched it so I can get some of those fun little trivia things. And there was a shot of Slimer that they were trying to get of him whizzing around a chandelier and the special effects just weren't working. And so they actually took a peanut and spray painted it green and filmed the peanut. (laughs) And they got it to work. And I'm just like... Well, okay. I mean, it's a practical effect, not really a special effect, but I mean, Slimer's a peanut in at least one of the scenes. I like him. It's pretty great how intuitive they had to be back then to to get shots that they did, like the 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 files coming out in the library, the little, uh, I don't even know what you call those cards. I haven't been to a library in a while. Um, but they, they had stagehands behind each one of those, pushing them out, and then they had... Yeah like copper tubing and they would blow in the tubing to get the cards to shoot out <laughs> and that's how they did that effect and it i i thought it worked well i mean it's it's a long time ago and i i think for it the actual practical effects dana levitating you know that that type of stuff they they did really well and i'm impressed with their ingenuity uh i'm kind of glad we've come as far as we have <laughs> yeah i i actually did really like that card catalog scene and i really hope that they were able to do that in one take because cleaning up after it and then having to redo it would be awful and i actually think one of my notes was i I felt bad for anybody who worked in the library who had to clean that up at Mm. least in the universe (laughs) because that would just be awful having to resort all of those cards and put them back i think i'd cry so we do have some questions from our listeners uh, that I don't think we've actually talked about. So let's go through a couple of those. Uh, Holly MVG on Twitter said, something I have wondered while rewatching as an adult. They smoke that much on purpose, right? Because they are wearing nuclear power and the disregard for safety is part of the joke? 
Or is it just that everyone in the 80s movies smoked constantly? Absolutely. To both, actually. The, I, I think that uh, for sure by, by the time Ghostbusters 2 comes out, I, I haven't watched it in a while, but I'm pretty sure none of them smoke in that movie. Yeah, no. Nah. But it does add the great effect. Like they, they have the scene where they're getting in the elevator and and they're talking about their packs and Bill Murray's line. Why worry? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. So I I think that they're they are almost completely disregarding safety throughout. It's pretty great. Yeah, I honestly I just assumed it's because that's what people did back then. They just smoked all the time. Everybody. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it was a little bit jarring to see just because you don't see that anymore at all. Yeah, you don't see goodies doing it. <laughs> and and I just so I I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I think my perspective was just that it is what everybody did back then. It was normal, regardless of whether or not they're wearing nuclear reactors on their backs. For sure. Yeah. I did see a comment that they were, um, was it they were trying to seem like, you know, sort of good working class folk, but, you know, these guys have PhDs and come from academia. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe they're trying to seem, seem that way. But I, I think it is all for the comedy. You get the great scene of Ray with the cigarette hanging off his lip in the oh, shot. Yes. It's just great to show the surprise. And then the same later, or not the same, but he leans out when he's working on the car, smoking. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrific. Kate Met wants to know, does Vinkman get a pass because he doesn't take himself seriously? Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think he's happy at all at the beginning of the movie. And, and I think it gets a pass because as the movie moves on, he sort of finds himself. And and I don't know, there's there's buy-in for me, like I'm rooting for him for sure by the end of the movie. And I had I had similar reaction watching it as an adult, Mandy, where I... I was keeping notes in my phone as I'm watching, and and one of my first ones is this guy is an asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like I I loved him by the fountain scene. I I was rooting for him. I couldn't wait for him to get the girl, or save the city, or whatever he wanted to do. I was I was on the Vankman train. Yeah, I I think he does. I I think um, he does get a pass because he doesn't take himself seriously. I think that's part of his charm is he's very self-aware and he just goes with it regardless of where it takes him and i think it's great yeah i have i have nothing to add to the vinkman conversation <laughs> do you like vinkman i don't i, I don't recall <sighs> you saying yeah i feel like i should like him but i i feel worse about him every time i rewatch this film again more as an adult you know when you when you return to it and think about it seriously, because he's just such a jerk to everyone. And and I, I think he does take himself seriously, because even when she calls him out, he's he's still low. This is what I'm going to do. I know how I'm going to do it. He's he's working the problem. And you combine that with the way he flirts with the girl at the beginning, and the the one person he does apologise to is uh, Annie Potts, whose name I've now forgotten. The mm -hmm. character's name Janine. Janine. Yeah. Um. Well, that's because she's scary. <laughs> yeah, that's because she's scary. <laughs> Annie Potts is is like a bit like Reginald Val Johnson. He's from a she's from a TV show over uh, in the States, right? Annie Potts, she was on Designing Women. Okay. I That's thought there the was only thing something she was in for a very long time because she was in Designing Women for like 9 years. I mean, that's for me that's what I know her from. Okay. Was that was I, that post Ghostbusters? Is this her first major role? Yes. Designing Women was on in late 80s, early 90s and gotcha. Ghostbusters was before I was born, so Awesome. 
Ah. Yeah, I've, I've never seen her in anything except for this and, and other Ghostbusters movies. And Toy Story, where she did a voice, but you know. Um, I know from previous conversation with you, Matthew, that, that you had a, a very large crush on Annie Potts. So should I assume that Janine is your favorite character in the movie? No. I did not have a crush on Annie Potts. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you were drunk when you said that. <laughs> Where were you getting this from? <laughs> no, seriously, Wait, Mandy. <laughs> we had a whole conversation about it. Was that not you? No. <laughs> a random listener right now is like, that was, that was me, Mandy. <laughs> Annie, I love you. <laughs> what? Maybe it wasn't you. I swear it was you. <laughs> Mandy's now scrolling through chat logs. I actually am. (laughs) Were were we thinking about different people? We we were really talking about David Duchovny, weren't we? (laughs) Yeah, okay. I I take the question back. That wasn't you. I have no idea who I had the conversation with. (laughs) If it wasn't you. um... Now, I would say, edit this out. But no, no, you leave this in. Leave it in because it's hilarious. God, who was I talking to? Uh, however, this is this is a segue into, and I'm I'm going to now keep talking so you can't edit it down. This is a really good segue into my favorite bit of the film, which is any time Sigourney Weaver is on screen, because mm. absolutely she's a, a number one crush from my younger years. Uh, there's there's probably three women who are obviously older women than I. Um, that I can remember growing up watching was just thinking they are gorgeous, they are funny, they are intelligent, and Sigourney Weaver is, is absolutely one of those. She'd done a lot of drama by this point, uh, particularly Alien, and possibly even Aliens. Uh, this was the first time I think I can remember seeing her flexing the, the comedy muscles, and she's so deadpan and so straight, but it just lands so brilliantly. And you can see the evolution of her doing bigger comedy, things like Galaxy Quest, which is a great Star Trek <laughs> spoof. So, yeah, that's so good. Did you happen to read what she did for her audition for this movie? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, can we say this? Is this? Is this... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. I mean, it's totally fine. I think it's hilarious, and I. I should have gone to YouTube to see if there's a, a video of it available. Um, but she walked in and decided to perform one of the scenes where she has turned into one of the dogs. And <laughs> she snarled and growled. Like, it was wordless. She didn't actually speak. And she got the part. Oh, <laughs> terrific. You can see it because she's a proper thesp type. You know, she's, a, she's an actress. She's so good in this movie, especially mm. with her, her like, her desperation like her knowledge of what she saw and her desperation to to give that to the other characters in the movie. Like, I saw this and I know that you guys aren't supposed to believe me, but you have to believe me. And any any time that anyone is coming close to questioning that, she gets this desperate look on her face and she kills the part. I love it. Yeah, she calls everyone out on everything, <laughs> particularly yeah. when Venkman's hitting on her. But yeah, when the guys don't believe it, she's like, no, 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 I actually saw this. Well, of course I'm telling the truth. Well, who would make up a story like that? <laughs> yeah. And she does that, that line where she's like, you don't act like a scientist. <laughs> you're, you're more like a game show host. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yeah, she, I, I love her. 
She was fantastic. Uh, but can we talk about how incredibly creepy it was? It was the only genuinely creepy moment in the movie, I mm. think, was when the hands came out of the chair. Yeah. Everything else seemed so fake and campy and intended to be a laugh. Even the librarian ghost at the beginning, she was scary, but it was still funny. But those hands were creepy. Like, I jumped because I didn't expect them. Yes, they did a great job too on the on the kitchen door. They they had like the hands moving inside the door as it's lighting up and like she's not looking over there yet, but there's some serious shit going on in the corner. Mm-hmm. And and as a as I'm watching it I'm like even now I'm watching it I'm like, "Oh, uh Dana, look over there." <laughs> but yeah. she never looks and then all of a sudden she's done. <laughs> yeah. Uh so Brandon What's your favorite moment or line or scene from from this movie? Oh, there's so many to choose from. Uh, my favorite to impersonate is the piano part. I hate this. I like to torture them. I, I do this to my kids all the time. It drives them crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we have a piano in the house. I do that all the time. <laughs> and it's great because those those keys don't actually work on my piano. <laughs> because it's so old so like it's not even making noise and i still do it nice (laughs) that's fantastic yes what about you what's your favorite part i think my favorite line is at the very end and it's actually a bankman line surprisingly enough um right after uh ray tells gozer that that he's not a god and they all get kind of you know blown across the rooftop and he says ray if someone asks if you're a god, say yes. <laughs> because that's exactly what I was thinking in my head. I was like, oh my god, why would you not say yes? I think that's Egon that says that, right? Mm-hmm. Then, was it Egon who said that? Yeah, and it's it's great because I think that like he is he doesn't even smile in the entire movie, not once. And at that point, like that's the most emotion you get from him. And he's like, Ray, you idiot. I love it. It is Egon. I, I'm 90% sure. 94.5% sure. You are probably absolutely right. My memory is terrible. Oh, dear listener, how I wish I knew then what I know now. Point in fact, both Brandon and I were wrong on the day we recorded this. It was not Ray or Egon who said the line. It was Winston. Ray. When someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. And now, back to your regularly scheduled program. Well, you haven't seen it 30 times. Right. (laughs) I feel like this comes up in every episode that we do is that there's something that I say that's just wrong because I remember it wrong. But then I have to remember I've only seen these things once or twice and you guys have been watching them for decades. Right. For for example, I get a pass. When they go into the hotel and they they almost torch the housekeeper uh, i didn't notice this until last night but she's like what the hell are you guys doing and then they they're like apologize like all of them apologize two or three times and they turn around to walk away and as the camera is farther away now you see that there's a little fire that had started because yep. of them and she's got a spray bottle and she's trying to put out the fire with a spray bottle i'd never seen that before last night it was pretty great Oh, I don't remember seeing that. <laughs> but, Mandy, you're a fan of How I Met Your Mother, right? 
Yes, but I've only seen it all the way through once. Okay, because the, the the line you've just quoted, and uh, that is a big, not a big part. It's it's a significant mention in in I think even the pilot episode where he goes on his date with Robin, um, and she, and he's using that as a uh, thing for his friends to say this is why we're perfect for each other because she quotes that line at him. Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> okay. Pop culture, I, I it's all linked. That, but, but that's awesome. <laughs> Matthew, what's your favorite part? Um, oh, I can't Anything choose because yeah, because Sigourney Weaver's in all of it. <laughs> She's so good. I think a lot of the the stuff in the jail cell is really well done because they oh. don't call attention to any of it, but just Peter performing for everyone while Ray's trying to give him this vital information about what's going on, and it just doesn't matter. Like we're gonna go and do a thing anyway. We'll just need to get there. But he's putting on this show. Everyone got this. Whoa! <laughs> I, okay, I but... do love that all of them are like super annoyed that the other people in the cell are like closing in on them, and all of them have their own reaction to those people. It's pretty great. Yeah. But can you explain to me why they had blueprints for the building in their gel cell? Because uh, he had them up his trouser leg. Yes. <laughs> you'd be amazed what you can stuff in your coveralls. <laughs> you and your logic. <laughs> I can't help it. You know, and I'm one of the most illogical people on the planet, so it must be bad if I'm the one questioning the logic. Because Al's actually a nice copper and he let them keep it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think we've gone through most of our notes. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you guys want to talk about? Every time I see the building in this movie, and actually, I should start this. Every time my youngest daughter sees the building of this movie she sings the doofenshmirtz evil incorporated song from perry uh or uh what's it called it's not perry the platypus perry the platypus is in it phineas and ferb (laughs) she sings that song because nice it's just this gigantic evil looking building in the middle of town and why do they have it there i don't understand like someone should have knocked that down years ago (laughs) you can do a lot with matte paintings of buildings yes yes (laughs) having watched ghostbusters one Mandy, do you want to watch Ghostbusters 2 or the reboot? I think I want to watch both. I definitely want to watch the reboot, for sure. Cool. Ghostbusters 2, I guess it'll depend on whether or not people tell me it's good. Or if it was, like, did it did it go the way of so many sequels where everything, they try to make everything bigger and more <laughs> over the top and more campy? Yes, because. Absolutely. I mean, Ghostbusters was campy, but I don't think it was meant to be. Like, it it was supposed to be, like, an actual comedy and not this, like, parody, satire-y kind of thing. And so if if it ended up being, like, super campy in the second one, I'm not sure I would enjoy it. I'm I'm pretty sure that Ghostbusters 2 defines over the top. Okay. Yeah, it's it's quite heavily pulling from the cartoon. Like we said earlier, they don't smoke anymore because they know they've got this much younger audience now and kids were really into it. Like they were surprised kids were so into the first Ghostbusters. Which it's a fairly safe movie for children, so I can understand why parents took them to it as a family film. Except for those arms, dude. Yeah. Well yeah, and the and the dream about the ghost. <laughs> right. That I, I forgot that was in there. I just yeah. like kind of I, I Which that out. I, I didn't get. I can, I can remember actually not understanding why he was dreaming about ghosts. So I just moved on. 
Yeah. Good. I'm innocent. Good. Okay. Um, <laughs> not, enough, not enough sleep. Too much stress. <laughs> yeah. I can give you one recommendation for Ghostbusters 2. It has Peter McNichol in it, and he's very, very good. Who's Peter McNichol? He's the germaphobe from Ally McBeal. Yeah, that doesn't help me. Okay. He's in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's the older Asgardian. Oh! Him! Yeah. I like he's, him. He's, he's very good in Ghostbusters too, so he's very funny. Yes. He'd Definitely the highlight. Doing basically a sort of Martin Short impression. He's, it's that kind of character. <laughs> I and, can and, see him doing that. And Ghostbusters the reboot is actually very, very good. I laughed out loud more at Ghostbusters reboot than I did at this one. This one, I thought, had had the it was just really well written jokes uh the the reboot actually had me laughing out loud it was it was very funny i thought i really want to see it and that reminds me i had a conversation with my mother about it she has not yet seen it and she doesn't want to see it and i told her i was going to shame her on the podcast about this <laughs> because so her, her her exact words were but it's not supposed to be women it's supposed to be the men <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Mama, you can't say things like that in 2017. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I meant it's supposed to be those men. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> and I was like, Mama, you, this is going on the podcast. And she just laughed at me. So, Oh, but also, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I really, really love Melissa McCarthy and um, Kristen Wiig. And I'm becoming a fan of Kate McKinnon since she started doing Hillary impressions on SNL. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the re- reboot. I think it'll be great. I don't I don't know enough about the reboot to know which actress corresponds to which character. And so trying to figure that out in my head is awesome. And I can't wait to see it. Okay. I also put down if you wanted to see Evolution if you hadn't seen it. Uh, Evolution is another Ivan Reitman film. It's basically another Ghostbusters, but not. And it has David Duchovny in in the main role, which is why I thought of him earlier. But he's effectively channeling Bill Murray. He, he's absolutely playing the role of Peter Venkman. Hmm. I've never even heard of it. I'd love it. I think it's really funny. But I do have to warn you, it has Sean William Scott in it, playing Sean William Scott. I like Sean William Scott. Okay, then you should see it. Whew, got away with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who, who will just not see a film because of him. Really? Okay. Mm. Unless I'm not, confusing him with somebody else, which I'm very... No, no, not, not in a Casey Affleck kind of way. More in a... Yeah, it's just a very tiresome character for some people. But if you like it, go for it. That's one I think Wait. we should put on the list. It's good fun. Sean William Scott, he's Stifler, right? Absolutely. Okay, yes, I like him. Yeah. Not crazy. Okay. <laughs> We want to say thanks to everyone who sent comments following recent episodes. The Firefly recordings kicked off a lot of discussions, so there were a couple we particularly wanted to mention. Sarah, the other blue girl, and host of Famished and Feasting, she liked my comments about the um, uh, how dare they put rude comments into Chinese. She has a particular word she would like me to use, and I will use it naturally during a discussion in future for her. And Matthew is very good at doing that, by the way. A couple weeks ago, he promised he would use the word Fortnite in a discussion. And he actually (laughs) said it very naturally twice during the episode. (laughs) And I had to struggle very hard not to laugh because it was an inappropriate time for me to laugh. That's not great. I had to use it twice in case you decided to edit it out just to confound me. (laughs) I would never do that to you. 
Uh, Vivian at VX and, and host of Burger of the Week has enjoyed Mandy's comments during the Firefly series and wants a show about Buffy so that she can hear Mandy's thoughts more. I think if you keep listening to this, we will keep mentioning Buffy. Don't worry. Absolutely. <laughs> And Esmeralda at Gypsy Book Nerd added that Ascension was aired in the U.S. on Sci-Fi and should be available on Netflix. I will thoroughly recommend everyone to watch it. Uh, if you like Westworld, you'll probably enjoy Ascension as well. Uh, it's a really, really good miniseries. I would like to say that I will give it a shot, but with everything on the list and everything else that I actually want to watch, having a hard time finding time for anything else. And re-watching Buffy for the dozenth time. We don't talk about that. <laughs> Never not watching Buffy. Exactly. I mean, that's that's just a given. <laughs> well, if you want to get in touch and give us your comments on this or any other movie we've discussed, you can tweet at us on Twitter at EloquentGushing or use the show hashtag, hashtag PCDeprived. Personally, I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. Uh, you can find me at shoe size 38 and I also host Moo Point, a Friends podcast, uh, where my great friend Jazzy tries to convince me that I actually like the show Friends. It should be a difficult task for her, but probably <laughs> enjoyable. Uh, our first episode will be Thursdays in April 2017, and we're at Moo Podcast on Twitter and MooPodcast.com. I'm really, really excited about this podcast, Brandon. So am I. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. I am so looking forward to, because I, I predict that over the course of the show, you are going to love it. And I cannot wait for that day to come. You know, I have so many people that I respect uh, that, that know good writing and they know good comedy and they say the same thing. It's going to be a struggle for me, to be honest. But... <laughs> I mean, I, I think that I'll bring a lot to the table for reasons why it's taken me so long to even watch <laughs> two episodes in a row. Wow. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it has some great, great moments. I'm a little jealous of someone who gets to see some of these for the first time because there's, there's a couple of things in there that just, they slay me every time. I just can't, can't move for laughing. So, Well, I was forced to watch the clip where we got our title from. and Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Joey gets all of the best lines. I'm sitting here thinking, it hurts my Joey's apple. Yeah. <laughs> and just, How you doing? Here's a role reversal. I have no idea what you're talking about. Right <laughs> but you will, and then it will be great. So, you guys in April, you guys need to subscribe to Moopoint. It's going to be awesome. Uh, you can also email Matthew and I at podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can comment on this post on eloquentgushing.com. Please also remember to rate and review us on iTunes. It's the best way to help other people discover the show. And we will be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Save me, you guys. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I collect spores, molds, and fungus. <laughs>